Wilder's effects and Douglas's priapic performance are in the service of a story that was lamb-lasted as hopelessly cynical by the critics of the day. Since most critics consider themselves newspaper men, and therefore within the target range of the movie's furious contempt, this makes a certain sense. But the picture isn't cynical at all. It's spot on. Those are words from Guy Madden on Billy Wilder's 1951 film, Ace in the Hole. Welcome to Seeing Faces in Movies, a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer, and each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film in the artist's filmography. As mentioned in the top, we're talking Ace in the Hole today, a quick synopsis of the film. A frustrated former big city journalist now stuck working for an Albuquerque newspaper exploits a story about a man trapped in a cave to rekindle his career. The situation quickly escalates into an out-of-control circus. The film stars Kirk Douglas as Chuck Tatum, Jan Sterling as Lorraine Minosa, Robert Arthur as Herbie Cook, and Porter Hall as Jacob Q. Boot. Written by Billy Wilder, Lester Samuels, and Walter Newman. Cinematography by Charles Lang. Edited by Arthur P. Schmidt. And music by Hugo Friedhofer. Before introducing my guest today, I do want to put a quick disclaimer. This is my very first episode, and I'm very excited to share it with everyone. You will note in our chat that my mic's a little off in terms of reverb, but hopefully you forgive me. My very first guest on Seeing Faces in Movies is a video editor, someone I've known for quite a while now, a big fan of Billy Wilder, and I definitely wanted to have him on for this month. His name is Dara McGrath. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Do you want to tell the guests a little bit about yourself and what your relationship is to cinema and this director and why you picked this film? I know that's a lot of questions. Yeah, for we sure. Break yeah. It down. Um, I mean, I've been into films my whole life. Uh, he was kind of like uh, my introduction to classic cinema to, to, to a large degree, like him and Hitchcock. They're kind of the gateway uh, for me when I was younger that I started watching because they're still quite modern feeling and they're still, they, they, they have very like almost hard-boiled plots or whatever you want to say. And Billy Wilder was one of the first directors I sort of started taking notice of and trying to track down his stuff. I, I studied film studies. I've done some video editing. Uh, I've, it, it's just, it's, it's a big part of my life. And it's why a, did you want to do Ace in the Hole specifically? I think it's, it's probably one of my favorite Wilder films. I remember watching it for the first time and the effect that it had on me. I think it was, I think when I was younger, you kind of associate when I was like 16, 17 or whatever, and you're getting into older films, uh, I would associate them with a kind of all shucks kind of Americanism. Yeah. Uh, I think this film was a lot more hard edged than I was maybe expecting. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting a, a film to go like as hard as this film goes. <laughs> I mean, as you said, is it cynical or is it just realistic? I guess b- back then I kind of associated older films with uh, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Westerns that I didn't want to watch. And, uh, well, especially the 50s and the 1950s yeah, in America. Sort of like what you would have gotten in sitcoms, I guess. But, but then as you discover more, you realize how wrong you are and that this is a film about kind of the real world and real issues and done in a very kind of hard edge style. No, that's that's fair, and all stuff that we'll be getting into as the the episode progresses. 
Okay, so let's get into talking about the film itself and as it relates to Billy Wilder's career. I'm going to read the tagline because I find taglines are very interesting and especially ones from the 40s and 50s. Or- they, have some, they have some good ones. Yeah, sometimes they're yeah. a little silly, but I find them to be very, yeah. very fun. And then we'll get into some facts about Wilder and the making of the film, the story itself, and Wilder's stamp on that story. So, tagline, if you're ready. I'm ready. Rough, tough Chuck Tatum, who battered his way to the top, trampling everything in his path, men, women, and morals. Wow. I think that's great. I think taglines are the Morals, best. like, that's broad, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, morals attested. Yeah. I mean, even the, even the name Chuck Tatum, it's like such a kind of yeah. hard-edged name. Like, yeah, yeah, I think it's Charles, but he goes by Chuck. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not often you meet Chucks anymore. No, not so much. No. No. So let's get into some facts. I did a bit of research on Wilder and this film. I'm deeply immersed in Wilder right now. Yep. I feel like he and I are best friends <laughs> and he's a good person to read about. So no complaints. This is Wilder's follow-up to Sunset Boulevard. So Sunset yep. Boulevard was released the year before. Due to the enormous success of that film, he was given even more free reign from Paramount. But because of the success as well, Paramount broke up the partnership that he had with Charles Brackett, who was his longtime writing partner. They broke it up mainly because they couldn't afford them together anymore. Yeah. So this is his first film that he wrote without Charles Brackett. Yeah. I'll get into it later. And anyone who's a Wilder fan, anyone who's a fan of this film would agree that that was not to his detriment, but that's not how audiences saw it. Was there some ego involved in in them breaking up like that? Was it? No. Yeah. There was no hard feelings. It was uh, the studio itself just couldn't afford them anymore. Right. And said, you guys need to break up in order to move forward. And Charles Rackett went on to write uh, a lot of great films. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't hurting in any sense. It's just that Billy Wilder is a bigger name because he's also a director. Wilder always wanted to have a writing partner, mainly just to help spruce up his English because English is not his first language. For this project, he sought out Walter Newman, who was a radio writer. He really liked one of the radio specials he wrote, and he sought him out for this. Um, And they also had the help of Lesser Samuels for this story. Walter Newman is actually the one who brought forth this story about a cave accident. Mm -hmm. And Wilder wrote it from there with the help of Newman and Samuels. So I just wanted to read a excerpt from Lester Samuels was talking about what he felt Ace in the Hole meant. Not Not the title itself, but the story. So the dramatist who sets out to write on a social theme should not get angry. He should keep his own temper while driving his audience to anger. In Ace in the Hole, we indict morbidity and lust for others, but we try to do so so subtly that the onlooker will both laugh at and deride some of our characters before slowly realizing he is perhaps pointing the finger of scorn at himself. We will get into, you know, the cynicism of this film and the way people view Wilder. I think the reason why people didn't like this film, you know, when it first came out is because they thought that Wilder was judging them when they were realizing stuff about themselves that they didn't like. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. Wait, even, everybody in the film is kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe the newspaper editor is like the one guy. But everyone in this film, including like the nice kind of 
passersby, the family that come in first to, to see what's going on. I mean, everyone sort of starts taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. And he's not holding back on that. And, you know, and in most films, you know, you would expect there to be some sort of lightness towards the end or some kind of, um, oh, well, what about these people? Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he just, Wilder just kind of keeps going. You have that like famous ending where it all just kind of crumbles. Yeah. And- it's not one. I, I mean, I'm into a kind of dark film, but even I didn't think that he was going to die at the end. Yeah. Or um, even if, you know, you would expect him to get his comeuppance in some way or exactly. but really he just keeps kind of, I mean, I don't want to skip straight to the end necessarily, but he just keeps trying to sell a story regardless of what the story is. He's still trying to be the kind of newspaper man right till the very end. Exactly. And sell his story. And that's, that's really his only goal. That's all that gives him energy is to be like that. Well, that's the thing. And I don't, again, I don't want to skip ahead, but he, I think that Wilder's a realist. And for that type of character to have, he does have a somewhat change of heart because you can see it, but for him to do like a full, you know, 180 is not Mm. realistic because that's just not how people are. Yeah. So moving on, you know, for me, I feel that the script and the story is not devoid of humor, but it said there is a dark humor. And I think uh, people were used to seeing Wilder have more humor in his script, although I don't find there's moments of Sunset Boulevard that are humorous as well, but I think it's a very dark story. Yeah. Um, but they didn't like how dark this one was. Like I mentioned earlier, Paramount gave him more liberties, and Wilder was very excited to do something that was more uh, honest and hard hitting. Yeah. Um, it's 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 the classic thing of a studio giving them a director just complete control and then that director just making something that they want nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah. It happens a lot in, in, in Hollywood history, it seems. I um, mean, and for the better and unfortunately. And those films are usually remembered years later as being very good. Well, But exactly. not necessarily at the time. Exactly. And I, I think the thing that when you're talking about the humor in the film, I think the things that people kind of find funny or kind of, they, they find it funny because they recognize it and they recognize those qualities, not only in themselves, but in other people around them. So you might find the wife and her kind of blasé sort of just wants to get the hell out of town the second her husband is stuck yeah. under a bunch of rubble. Her first instinct is to get out, get the hell out. I mean, that's kind of funny. And a lot of like probably wives back then would have felt the same way. The humor in that is 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 kind of carried through to its sort of logical conclusion. I guess they felt maybe that there was a certain amount of judgment going on, which I think they're probably was i think wilder's uh but warranted wilder's not he wasn't american he came to america and he liked a lot of uh, qualities of the country but i I was reading his his biography and there's there's there was an amount of consumerism and sort of ignorance is blissness to american life that he kind of had an issue with yeah He, he came from a place that where ignorance is bliss was like that was the that was the way you lived yeah he he didn't like people not pointing that out and not taking on those issues because if those are underlying issues in society then they need to be recognized and dealt with yeah well i touch upon it in the intro episode but wilder did flee from the nazi party regime Mm -hmm. growing in germany it would make sense that he realizes that life is not always you know happy-go-lucky yeah but he still made very happy films and i don't think this is an unhappy film it's just realistic but it just ties in really nicely to the last couple of facts that I have. So Ace in the Hole is loosely based on two real life events. 
One where a man was stuck in a cave and a reporter covered the rescue mission. This happened in the 20s. And, you know, the public found entertainment in the situation. It was following along with every day and every new thing that they tried to get him out of that cave. Second, it's just a darker story. is A three-year-old girl fell in a well and crowds immediately started to form around as they started the rescue mission. Mm-hmm. And you have her mom, who's just like obviously desperate to get her out. But it's the darkness of the, the crowds immediately forming around this and wanting to watch. And as soon as they did recover her body, which was like a few days later, she had passed away. Yeah. And the crowds immediately just left and you know, no one's talking about it. And yeah. it kind of tied into something that happened recently in <laughs> yeah. recent yeah. history with the... You know, I mean, that's much sadder, Titanic. really, because that was just a three-year-old girl. That's, yeah. that's very sad. No, I can but see something like that making Wilder angry. You know, I can see him. I could. I can see that being something that would upset most people. Obviously, but the recent event, just in case you know, people are listening to this a couple of years down the line when we've all forgotten about it. Yeah. Uh, the Titanic submarine and the five people who passed away in that situation, and how the world, including myself, were very invested in what was happening, and it's. It is a dark thing, but it just shows that people don't really change. No, it was an interesting week to rewatch Ace in the Hole. Because <laughs> yeah. there are things that Chuck Tatum, played by Kirk Douglas, is saying in this movie that are directly referencing like today or, you know, last week. Just the, the parts where he's he's talking about how it's better to have one man in a cave than a hundred men in a cave. Yeah. Uh, because you can you can frame the story and you can you can have everybody put themselves in that one person's position because a hundred people is just a number. A thousand people is just a number. And you see that again and again. And, and people like to blame the media and people like to blame everybody involved in it or, or, you know, what went wrong and who's responsible. And the truth is it's all of us looking and like well, yeah. feeding it and like the media resharing it. And fed by the people consuming it. Yeah. We didn't get a circus out of it, unfortunately, but you know, no, but I'm sure there will be, you know, people going down. There probably will that. be some kind yeah. of like jokey thing doing about it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, last thing to note on that would be that this was a box office bomb. Uh, it did not do well at all. Mm-hmm. And due to that, you know, it gets it kind of scared Wilder and he thought that maybe he was not as good without Bracket. Not he didn't blame Bracket on that, obviously, but he thought maybe he needed Bracket's kind of help to not make such dark stories. If that makes sense, I mean, he followed it up with a lot of adaptations, adaptations. And, yeah, exactly. And, you know, adaptations of Broadway, popular Broadway plays, popular uh, stuff that's already got a kind of built-in audience. Exactly. Um, and he obviously did a very good job with all of those, but I think that he maybe thought that he touched the nerve a little too strongly. Yeah, I mean, he says he's very proud of the film. I think he said it was the best film he's ever made. He is. Yeah, he just he was. But he's like, maybe the, the market won't won't take this. Yeah, they and won't, he won't did go on to make even bigger films after mm-hmm. this. So it's not like his career hurt. I guess maybe his ego was a bit hurt, but yeah, it's not yeah. a bad thing. I, I that's understandable. Yeah. So let's get into the film itself. Wilder is. 
the reason why he's so important and interesting to talk about as an artist. Not only was he a director, but he wrote his own work most of the time. And I think that the strength in this film, obviously, it's very well shot and like amazingly acted. So the reason why for me that the story comes together so well is kind of as a chance that he ended up on this story. He was not meant to cover this. He didn't go out and seek this. He just was on sent on an assignment. He was desperate for work. Yeah, he see he sees an opportunity and he he just takes it. So an excerpt from the book here: Tatum ends up pulling into Leo Minos's trading post by pure chance, much the way Marion Crane drives up to the Bates Motel in Psycho, and with similar consequences. I forgot that, yeah, she just kind of pulls in it because it's the first place and she needs somewhere to hide out and she needs to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, of all the places. Exactly. Yeah. And same with this. They could have not pulled in there. And eventually, maybe that story would have come out, but it, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe he just would have I mean, I think, I think Chuck, Chuck Taylor would have found something else. He would have. He would have. He definitely would have. He would have gone to another town and he would have found some 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 other thing to to exploit and turn into a kind of a carnival. Well, th- there was a point in the film where he admits that one of the reasons why he was fired from one of the jobs is for due to a libel case. Yeah. The thing about Wilder, he always just kind of puts in like little clues here that you might not catch on first watch. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it's, it's a script that like, I don't think there's anything wasted in the script. There's nothing that's everything in there is every line of dialogue has 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 value and it gives you a deeper insight into something yeah um i mean we should probably talk about his introduction as a character and the yeah. way he's brought into the film is just being driven by a pickup truck because his car is broken down he's he's pretty much hit rock bottom in terms of his career and financially he's just wandering around with, with nothing he still finds a way to take advantage of that situation because he gets the tow truck to drive him to the newspaper office by like attaching the broken down car and just dragging it along yeah and he's just in the car reading a newspaper like it's not a big deal so he's he's like supremely confident yes he does have a great confidence in himself because he knows he can sweet talk himself into and out of any situation and i think he's he's aware of the world that he lives in and that's sort of one of the cynical sides of the script i guess is that the reason Chuck Tatum is confident is because he knows that what he does has a huge audience. He's giving people sort of what they want. I think he has studied to an extent through just living life, human behavior, and he knows yeah. how they are. Well, I think it's interesting when he's bragging about himself to the editor and he says one of the things, you know, he's listing off all the jobs he's done. He says, I know how to sell them uh, and I know how to write them. And, you know, the editor has to tell the truth, sign on the thing. But I think... Chuck Taylor knows how to sell newspapers and that's how mainly how he kind of got successful is that he knows how to sell them, not necessarily how to do them correctly or do them the right way that journalists would expect them to be done. He knows how to sell. Exactly. He's a salesman. That's you can always be telling the truth, but you can stretch it. You can bend it. Like, uh, <laughs> no, just talking about Chuck Tatum and confidence and ability to kind of seduce anyone. And I think we need to, you know, he is played by Kirk Douglas, who is a very strong presence on screen. I yeah. never find him to be overbearing, but you always want to listen to what he's saying. Yeah. Because he, you know, he's physically a fit guy who kind of takes over the screen whenever he's on it. Um, I mean, he's, he's a very edgy looking person too. Like yes. His face is like very sort of odd. It's <laughs> he's got that chin and 
those high cheekbones and stuff. And but I think yeah, he's, he's took this script and truly feel like he would be saying these things. And why I, I said at the beginning there that I don't think that the story is devoid of humor because in his intro scene there, he is kind of funny. Yeah. And because you can't, I mean, you have to bring the a, audience There's a charm in. to him. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Okay. He's darkly funny where everything he's, he's saying has a spark to it yeah. um, because he knows it's funny and he doesn't take it seriously, but he takes his job seriously. Yeah. But he doesn't take other people seriously. And even when you know he's wrong, you kind of want to see what he's going to do. I mean, the way he exploits the sheriff and he, well, exploits, I'm sorry, but the way he kind of um, wins over the sheriff and wins over the contractor. In order to like prolong the rescue attempt. Well, yes. You know, these these are things where it's like, this guy is a real, like, he's a gambler. But right? he's never doing things. It's not that he's doing it for them. He knows to offer them something. Yeah, he's never, he's never blackmailing them. He's never threatening them. He's always giving them something that they want. And he knows that they want that more than they want to save this guy, you know, who's stuck down. Exactly. Die in a few days. There is a point I do want to touch on later about that. Just briefly, I wanted to talk about Lorraine Minosa, played by Jan Sterling, who's yeah. really great. Yeah, She's a really it's great the, actress. The femme fatale who isn't, I guess it's not like a traditional noir film, but it is. It, is it has nice. definitely has noir and, elements. Uh, she's definitely the femme fatale. I find her character very interesting. And obviously on a first read for most people, they think that she's evil. She's a bad person. And I never necessarily thought that. Uh, she was a bad person. I think she just wanted to get out of the situation to begin with. And she figures this is the best time to do it. Yeah. She's always at least out to get out, like help herself. Like, I mean, she's kind of, you can understand why she hardly wants to get out of that situation. But it wasn't she's not, her She's not really thought. willing to burn everybody else necessarily. But no. Until the end, anyway. She didn't set out to take advantage of the situation other than getting out. Yeah, and she, she had tried to already get out a few times. Yeah. That, that is that is talking about. I think the, it's interesting that the first thing she's doing is actually dropping off uh, cigars and um, she's dropping stuff off to her husband, Leo. Yes. Like nice things. Because even when, when, when he brings them to the cigars, he's like, oh, wow, she, she never lets me smoke these. So she is doing something somewhat thoughtful for her husband. That is, that is the first thing that she does. And then you kind of see all the other things. She does start off being at least like not like she understands that he's stuck down there. And it's probably not the most comfortable situation. So no. she, she does try and at least give him something. Well, she doesn't have to. She I mean, said she that he's just been left. stuck there before and she just doesn't yeah. think it's that big a deal. He'll yeah, get out. Yeah. Yeah. And in her mind, she's like, even if I don't necessarily leave right now, I have a couple of days without him yeah, being around. Yeah. I, it's not even like she paints him to be a bad guy. She just says she's tired. Yeah. Which yeah. is fair. But I wanted to bring that up because um, Wilder has been seen as, you know, some people think that he can be kind of misogynistic yeah. in the way he portrays women. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I think he portrays women, like, honestly, as real people and with everyday flaws. But there is a quote from Dan Sterling herself on the character of Lorraine and Wilder wilder's interpretation of her Mm -hmm. so when asked about wilder's misogyny as reflected in the part of lorraine minosa sterling was adamant no no absolutely not she may have been hateful to the observer but when you were playing her you understood absolutely why she did what she did she wasn't happy people do very odd things when they're not happy she felt she had a right to be mean to tatum she wasn't on 
the make or anything. She just wanted out. I think she's also more pure-eyed than Tatum in a lot of ways, because he uses her as to sort of take his self-hatred out. They're both sort of doing the same thing, but she's doing it for a reason of self-preservation. He's doing it for a reason of, you know, he wants to exploit a situation and get everybody else involved. She just wants to get out. Yeah. So I think he 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 treats her in a certain way because he sees himself in her. And she almost becomes, she kind of becomes worse because of him. Because it becomes more about, well, now I can make some money off of it before exactly. I get out. And like she learns from him how, how to play the situation. He teaches her. Yeah, because she tried. She was going to leave. She's gonna yeah. She doesn't want to do any of the things. He just, she doesn't want to go to church. And he makes her go to church. You know, he, yeah. she doesn't want to do the sympathy wife sympathy thing. He makes her do it. As the movie goes on, she realizes that 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 does work. But yeah, I I think that is wilder misogynist. Uh, I don't think so. But, I, but yeah. the way some people <laughs> some people will talk about, you know, I think one of the things is that you what you see is you have very tough characters in a tough situation and they're running up against a society that doesn't allow i mean chuck tatum can be like that but she's she would never be allowed to be openly like that well no not because society would just not accept it especially but But you know they accept a man doing it but they won't accept a woman doing it and i think that the misogyny is maybe reflective of the society that wilder is depicting yeah but I mean, he's also sort of getting, you know, having his cake and eating it too a little bit. But, you know, that's okay. <laughs> talking about some of his other female characters outside of this film, just in my research, because it never occurred to me that he was misogynistic, but reading why other people would have thought that is, you know, even the character in Sunset Boulevard, she's kind of, you could see that. Some people might think of her as a leech or she's a, not necessarily a good person. I think she's just someone who's deeply flawed. And then even in the apartment, Shirley McLean's character, people had problems with her being someone who slept around. They think of that as being being hateful towards women, whereas it's more like this is just real people. Yeah. And it's that's the society at the time judging her for that. And he's showing that to a certain degree. I don't know if it's the film judging her or is he just showing that the character. I don't remember the apartment very well. I don't think the film was judging her at all, but that's just my opinion. And while there's not a misogynist, certain directors are accused of that. I can see why some people might view it that way, whether I agree with it or not. Same with Mm -hmm. like people think (laughs) De Palma's a misogynist. I would disagree, but I could definitely see why people would think otherwise. Um, Women like to shower. I mean, you know, that's that's the promise. <laughs> he just wants to show that in every one of his movies. I, mean, I will like save that for my very provocatively month. showering. That's what that's what the promise is. Uh, but <laughs> I'll say that for my development. But yeah, I I definitely don't think uh, he's misogynist. But I did think that it was important to bring that up because you have such. She's really the only. There's a couple other women in the film, but they are very, very minimal. She's she's the co-lead in this film, yeah, very much, and she is she ends up being an ugly character, but that's fine because it's a film about that. And I'm not yeah, I mean, sure everybody, why everybody, she's not allowed to be. I guess other than like the father and the 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 editor are really the only like two. Yeah, and and the mother also. Who's done? Mother doesn't I mean, really was, given any written yeah. words, but so we have touched upon Wilder being seen as a cynic, and there's 
a few scenes, the entirety of the film is, but there's some couple scenes that I wanted to bring up in particular that I always found to be really dark. The first would be Mr. Federber, mm-hmm. who was the father of the first visiting yeah. family. And they kind of camp up and watch it go along. And they kind of are touting the fact that they're, they were the first there. Yeah. And it's a teaching moment, a teaching moment for their children. As yeah. They, as they said, um, that's their reason for doing it. But once the whole, you know, shebang starts happening and more of a crowd begins, we've got more media out there. He's being interviewed as being you know the first people on there so they want to get the scoop from the people who've been there from the start and he doesn't miss a chance to like plug the insurance company he works yeah, for yeah he's trying to get work out of it yeah you know the, the reporter you know shoots him down yeah he knows what he's doing swiftly, but it's the fact that you know you would think that they would have more sympathy for this guy stuck there seeing as yeah. he was they were the first people there but they really don't care everyone just assumed he's gonna get out everyone just sort of exactly and they i mean they could have gotten him out they could have gotten him out in the day but they decided that to take a week yeah and uh, that's the whole thing and everyone just kind of gets worse and worse as the week goes on because they think that they're running out of time to take advantage of the situation well exactly and you know it's this is seen by the fact that an actual circus is formed around yeah, yeah. Like they build yeah. an entire circus. There's people performing. I mean, they're just going where the people are. It's not the circus's fault. <laughs> no, no, it's not the circus's yeah. fault. But it's more. This is also Lorraine, the wife. Yeah, she she's she's taking money from them. Yeah, to, she's to, she started so paying money before. It's just wild to see. There's a Ferris wheel just steps away from yeah. where someone. The Federers are riding on it at one point, which is um, nice. The kids are at least getting something out of the hall. So I, those are very dark elements to the story that I love. Just, I can see that happening today. Yeah, nothing has really changed, um, but people don't like to see that. People yeah. don't like to see. You know, I think real uh, Wilder is a realist, and he doesn't make ugly films, but his characters are real people. There's some yeah. people who make, I wouldn't say this, like, ugly films is not the best word, but there's some people like a, like Hanukkah who makes kind of ugly films because they're so dark, you know, like the funny games Yeah, where none of these characters are not real. Like you could see this actually happening, but when you're faced with it, I guess it hits in a different way and you're not happy to watch something so dark yeah i think filmmakers who are willing to point the finger at the audience are fairly rare because it's, it's a risky thing to do very much and very much at yeah. that time especially when you're in a genre that's not known for that it's not a horror film where you're expecting people to be bad and to do bad things this is yeah. a film about a journalist and you're not expecting you're maybe expecting him to be bad and the the film to judge him but you're not expecting to sit there and be judged as well i don't even think that he's judging i think he's just painting a portrait yeah how how do you feel about leo minosa i it's you know he's not in it that often mm-hmm. that he has his three kind of key scenes or and you know he seems like and it might be also because he's in a situation where he's stuck and his personality's mm-hmm. changing he doesn't seem like a bad guy no, like- what he, he oh, what I was struck by watching it again and having re- not seen it in a few years was what he's doing is not that different than what Chuck is doing. Well, no, he's, he's gone he's, into a sacred Native yeah, American stealing stuff thing and he's stealing little artifacts that he can sell in his crappy roadside place. I mean, he's doing he's doing he's just trying to find treasure. I mean, that's the reason he goes under is to find treasures happened before. 
This is not the first time he's gotten stuck down. Billy Wilder intentionally includes shots of the the Native Americans yeah. in the area. So it's like he is drawing attention to the fact that this guy is sort of desecrating and stealing from them too. Yeah. And in order to profit himself. There's a point in the, the script as well where Leo thinks that this is his punishment for having gone into the sacred. Yeah, that there's area. a curse, the curse of the seven mountains yeah. or whatever the, the phrase is. But who knows if he had made it out, would he have gone back? Probably. Realistically. Do you not? Th- I think he would have tried to take advantage of his new fame. I mean, he's excited when he hears that people are out there. Very much. Yes. You know, it's something that he's happy about. So I think, you know, I don't think he deserves what happens to him at all. I think it's very sad. But it is sort of um, a situation of his own making. I mean, he goes in there just like Chuck does, tries to find things for himself yeah. that he can use, regardless of who it affects. He suffers the consequences of that. Because when Chuck first gets there and there are some police around trying to assess the situation, mm-hmm can't remember who it was if it was like a police officer who was pointing to natives being like why don't they go in there to help because they would know the cave and they mm-hmm. said they don't go in there that's a space that they should not be entering yeah no one should be entering so they refuse to go in for anyone respectfully so yeah yeah since we're on topic of minosa one thing to note is that we know we all know he dies and I, said, he, I hope they do anyway. People feel that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> already, it's, it's not a spoiler-free show, yeah. unfortunately. He does get a scene, kind of a, not, I wouldn't say redemption scene, but a laying to rest scene mm-hmm. as, you know, the priest comes by and says goodbye to him. And that's when Tatum has his realization. But his actual death is never seen on screen. And I just wanted to read a quick little excerpt from the book. So Wilder has better taste than to show the actual moment of Leo's death. Not only would it detract from the more powerful revelation of Tatum's self-recrimination, but Wilder also knows that his audience cares as little for Leo as the crowds who flock to the circus <laughs> at Escudero. Leo Minoso leaves the film just as he entered it, as a means to Tatum's end. Which is very true. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the film is not about the person in the cave. It's never been and it never would no. have been. It's I mean, always he, about he, the person. He has to die. Fighting. Otherwise, it's just, you know, endorsing what Chuck Tatum does. I mean, he, Leo has to die in order for the film to make its point. Yeah. But I did think it was interesting that the, the book is saying that the audience cares very little about it. Yeah. Because... Yeah. I mean, I wanted him to get out. I don't know. <laughs> I wanted him to get out, <laughs> no, but it didn't really affect me either way because yeah. you, you're not attached to him. He's, very, he's in the film very little, and it's mm-hmm. about everything else going on. If he had made it out, it would have been a completely different ending. Yeah. Because... I mean, I feel bad for him in terms of... I mean, he was essentially tortured for the last seven days of his life. Yes. Unnecessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, had it just fallen in on him and killed him, it would, uh, had they gone in and tried to get him on the first day and he died, else Chuck Tatum puts this guy through hell for seven days and then he dies. Yes. So it's like, you're not just killing the guy, you're really putting him through. Yes. Which is, which is what's kind of horrific about it. And the film punishes Tatum for it in a very direct way. Yeah. It's not just yeah. like you can see the mental torture that he starts to experience, but by the time, you know, it fully affects him, he's been killed. Well, I, I find the I find the ending interesting because I wonder Chuck Tatum sort of does he does he come to the realize I mean he does come to the realization of what he's done, but is he trying to make amends at the end or is he actually just 
continuing to do what he's always done, which is sell the best story he can think of. And the best story he can think of is that he murdered this guy. Well, like, yes. that's a great story. And he tries to sell it to the editor at the end of the movie. Like that's all he's got left is the truth. I, I, I agree. I think he knew he would die. Yeah. But he's gone into a kind of... I like, think he wanted the final word, though, before yeah. he died. And but he's still, he's still trying to sell a story at the end. Yes, yeah, very goes, much. That's the, the very last scene is him saying, I've got a great story for you. Here's the story. This is about a reporter who murders somebody. Exactly. But you he know. wants... I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I viewed it this time around, where he's like, I want this story to be out there. I want this to be the way I'm remembered, because I know I'm going to die. As opposed to being like, I'm going to make a recovery and I will write this story. But he does come to a realization. But I think because he knows he's going to die, he's like, well, I still want the final word. If he hadn't died, would he have changed? That's a whole other conversation. I don't know. To be honest, you can yeah. see the the I don't think he was the horror change, in it. But I think that if he well, he, there is I, a change though because he does announce to everyone that the death, as opposed to just giving the exclusive to New the New York paper that yeah but he's almost hates the crowd you know he's 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 saying in like a really judgmental way to the crowd he's like you sick people you've been here this whole time and it's like he's talking to himself exactly so but he does come to that realization though minosa's death not being on screen but tatum's death being on screen is very telling yeah i mean i think tatum just sees who he is right right at the end and he there's no more covering it up and he just he's he already hates himself he hates himself in the beginning of them and he does many things that sort of suggest that he's got a lot of self-hatred and i think he just can't hide it anymore he can't hide it under the 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 guise of being a journalist or he he doesn't he could have been anything he could have been a politician he could have been a cop he could have been anything yeah anything that gave him some sort of power or sway well yeah he he exerts power over everyone even we haven't really talked about Herbie Cook, who's mm-hmm. the photographer that he takes under his yeah, wing. Yeah, who he immediately corrupts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because, but, but again, he corrupts like so quickly. You wonder about Herbie from the beginning. You're like, well, he was playing a role to a certain. Well, point. I think that's exactly what Wilder is saying, though, is that everyone yeah. has the ability to be yeah. evil. Because he, Herbie has to be like that because of the editor that he works for, who is a very like moral person yeah but also he's coming from like a nothing town that's and very, he thinks that's the way yeah it, he know. hasn't been exposed to this type of behavior or he doesn't even think about you know opportunities outside of what his small town goals were mm-hmm. and they talk about that they think his goals were to you know maybe get a spread a magazine at some point and mm-hmm. tatum's like that's it you know you can do you can do better than that and the bit where he tells Tatum that he he life has been onto him or someone, and, and Tatum sort of looks at him like, "Oh, you like this now?" Yeah, like he's like he wants people to join his his join in his sort of moral abyss because he doesn't want to be down in that cave alone. He no. wants people with. So I think we've covered quite a bit of the story without going through it scene by scene, but mm-hmm. you know the the major beats and. While there is effect on those those beats, is there anything else? Think of. We should I mean, cover? I'd encourage anyone to just either rewatch it again because there's just so much great dialogue, just so many great little lines and little scenes that are again. I think if you're ever going to study screenplays, you should be watching this movie. Yes, very much. Piece. I mean, I think you should be, <laughs> like, if all the Wilder's movies really you should yeah. be watching, but this one and Sunset Boulevard and or maybe Double Indemnity are probably the ones to, yep, for sure. to focus on. Depending on what kind of movie you're trying to do. For sure. 
in the show notes, I'll put some other resources for people to read because I find if you've seen this before and read a bit about the film and Wilder um, and go back and revisit it, you'll see different elements that you might have not caught on to the first time. And I don't necessarily think you need to read about a film ever to understand it, but I think it is very interesting and he's such an interesting guy. If you're interested, those will be in the show notes. But I'm going to move on to final segment, which I'm right now calling end credits working title. Mm-hmm. But in this, I have two questions for my guests. That yes. The same two questions for everyone. The first is, do you think that Ace in the Hole is a starter film for people? So if someone comes up to you and says, I've never seen a Billy Wilder film. I'm interested in getting into his work. Would you recommend Ace in the Hole? If so, why? If not, why? And which one would you pick? Uh, I think I'd probably do the whole thing of this is my favorite one. You should watch it. But I think the best introductory one would probably be maybe Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. It's a little broader and more kind of uh, all of the things a person might expect to see, but done really well. Yeah. Uh, From like a 1950s great movie, you know. Uh, I think Ace in the Hole is maybe, a. I mean, kind of the the problems that it had when it came out. It's maybe a bit too cynical for people. It's a bit too too dark. Um, I think you would save it for maybe... A few films later. Yeah, I agree. Not that Sunset Boulevard isn't also dark or Dublin Divinity isn't dark. I agree. But I, I think that's the more kind of... Sunset Boulevard is like the, the statement movie. Mm. And then you watch everything after that and it kind of all feeds into it. No, I, I agree. I I wouldn't... I love Ace in the Hole and I think it's a beautiful film. I wouldn't pick it as my starter. I'd also pick Sunset Boulevard. And it's weird... My very first Wilder that I watched would have been Sabrina. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then I would have seen Double Indemnity. And those are two very different films. Yeah. So Sunset Boulevard, I think starting with Ace in the Hole might give you an impression yeah, of Wilder much. that's not necessarily reflective of his work. It might be more reflective of his person yeah but not as reflective of his work i also definitely wouldn't even recommend sabrina as the first because you might think he just does rom-coms yeah or something like it hot hot is you know that's sort of billy wilder doesn't even need to i mean obviously it's great but there's a lot of films similar to that i guess yeah but Um, that's the best of them it's the best of them yeah by far (laughs) well yeah it's one of the best there's definitely some other great ones as well but but he has his he has his kind of jaunty funny comedies and then he's got his yeah, so, I think Sunset Boulevard is its own entity, and it's like it's a beyond, in my opinion, a masterpiece. And yeah. I think with this, whatever your follow up would be, you're gonna understand the what he has to offer. Yeah. Okay, so we both agree, Sunset Boulevard. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, but also good if we, you know, if you depending on the case. person, I might say Dublin Divinity. If if the person is going to want a specific kind of yeah thing, that's but, also that's you know, also, you know, also a thing. Sometimes you want to carry it to the person, yeah, as opposed to a broader thing. Second question to wrap up. Mm-hmm. So, if you're building a double bill, whether for yourself or someone else, what are you pairing Ace in the Hole with? One of my favorite films of like old films that I've seen in the last few years, which is A Face in the Crowd by uh, Elliot Kazan. This is a film that also deals with the media and deals with a very strong man personality, uh, sort of, you know, exploiting the situation around him. It's, it's, it's maybe got more of a moral fable to it, I think, than Ace in the Hole. I don't think it's as, 
as dark as you have some clear cut nice characters and good characters who who sort of you know the guys of in that film is sort of a villain and, and yeah he has to get his cup up and come up and it's it's maybe a more traditional told film in yeah. that respect still an amazing great film with brilliant performances um yeah the uh, face in face in the crowd is definitely one that i thought of as well and i i think i felt the same way i felt after watching ace in the hole for the first time and just kind of having seen other Elia Kazan films and yeah he does have a darkness to his stuff but that being another level of dark that I wasn't anticipating mm-hmm. and it just blew my mind because I was like wow this is in- I was it's intense like I felt like I was sweating towards the end it's also, it's also like when you watched it I mean I watched it in like I think it was must have been 2017 2018 or was it that long ago? Was it that long ago? I don't know. I don't it was so. definitely. I feel anyway, like I definitely watched it and recommended it to you. There was one, you know, American politician who's in the news constantly. Let's not even mention his name, but no. <laughs> this film, like, I mean, a face in the crowd is essentially you could say it was about this guy. I mean, it's it's so similar in terms of how he became successful and how he yeah. became. I definitely will at some point. Except he doesn't get caught in the end. Be doing Kazan month and that. Mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll be upset if someone doesn't pick that film. Yeah. Might have to do a, a separate episode. I'll be back. It. I'll be back. Um, I think that's such an important film. I mean, the other film only because when I looked it up and I was looking up, reading about it, Ace in the Hole, I did, you know, Spike Lee talks about mm-hmm. the film as well. He loves it. And he said, you know, he mentioned a vase in a great yes. too. So he was he was there first. Uh so I tried to come up with another movie that I thought might be be a fit as well. Okay. So and you're coming one that, up with another thing? I, I, Yeah, well, I thought of maybe you could also do Sweet Smell of Success in terms of Okay, yeah, yeah. The media yes. and just cynical characters and Yeah, yeah very it, much. It's a differently told story, very much so, but I think you could definitely do a double bill with that as well. Yeah. Sweet smell, sweet smell of success. Sorry, was another one I thought of. Also, it's just a known for a strong script, and yeah, definitely you can make a triple bill. Yeah, just a very tightly told a triple bill. That would be great. And that, would be, that would be exhausting. You would be, be very, exhausted by the end, be, but it'd be worth it. <laughs> be, I mean, they're all kind of short though. They're all like not that long. Yeah, but they're very intense. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, what order would you do it in? Um. I might start with Sweet Smell and have Ace in the middle and end with a Face in the Crowd. I feel like for me, Ace Face in the Crowd is the most intense. Yeah. Um, so maybe you want to end with that as opposed to having it. I guess the ending of Ace in the Hole is such a good combination for all of those movies. Yeah. You kind of want that to be the end. Is this guy just... I guess. Him. Is that how you... Because that's how you would feel after your triple build. You would just want to walk out of the cinema and fall over true yeah well my pick if you're interested in hearing about it for my for my double bill i have a third no sorry god you okay well no (laughs) my pick would be and this is just one that came i just figured whatever first comes to mind would be my pick and Mm -hmm. i picked a cry in the dark by fred skepsi and i had to google how to say his last name this is from 1988 this is the one with Meryl Streep and oh. um, Sam Neill. I watched it for the first time, I guess, last year, and it's very much about the media. And she, they've lost their kid, or the famous line, a dingo ate my baby, is from this movie. Oh, no way, really? Yes. <laughs> what is this film called? A Cry in the Dark? A Cry in the Dark. 
eventually the media turns on her specifically and they claim that she killed the daughter. It's based on a true story as well. And it's just the media following along that and the whole frenzy of what happened. So I thought it was very fitting and oh, okay. perhaps something more modern along with Ace in the Hole. I yeah. thought that would be a good one. There's a lot of great films about how dark the media is. Oh, it's also, so I've looked it up. It's also called Evil Angels. Yeah, I know. It's a terrible title. Ace in the Hole was also called The Big Carnival. So big they Carnival, all, they all had yeah. A, sounds cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that's Ace <laughs> in the Hole. Dar. Thanks yes. for... Coming on, being my yeah. first guest. Do you have anything you want to plug anywhere? People should follow you. I know you're big on the letterbox. He doesn't loving, loving the letterbox. He doesn't rate anything. He just leaves reviews. So. We, we don't have to get into the rating rating conversation. Uh, do you want people to follow you on there? If so, I will leave it in the show yeah, notes. yeah, yeah. You can. You, everybody can just follow my letterbox. I think it's just my name. I don't know because <laughs> most people, I guess, can't do that, but I can. Uh, yeah, so it's just my name, which you can learn how to spell. When you look at the, it'll the, be the in notes. the title. It'll yeah. be on the the artwork. I just spell it ten times a day, so I don't want to do it again. I had a great time talking about Ace in the Hole. I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, the rest of the Billy Wilder season. Seeing Faces in Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney. Intro music by Lamar Walker, and additional help from Darmacra. If you like what you've heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate this show wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time.